You're listening to the James Fry Podcast, where the streets, the sometimes taboo, and most importantly, real people with real stories meet. Join James as he explores the edge of life. Here's James. The selling of one's flesh in exchange for monetary goods may be, as the saying goes, indeed be one of the world's oldest professions. After all, there's even references to its existence as far back as ancient Mesopotamia. But still, the very mention of the word prostitute can conjure up, for many of us, stereotypical images of a drug-addicted streetwalker standing on a dimly lit corner in the roughest part of town. The pimp, just out of sight, ready to beat her to a pulp if she doesn't turn tricks fast enough for cash. But thanks largely to activism by the sex workers themselves, this stereotype has begun to change. Sure, it would be pretty hard to deny that even when women aren't being physically coerced into selling their bodies, many economically are. Particularly in third world countries such as Thailand and the Philippines, where lack of education and employment options have led many women to turn to this line of work, simply to put a roof over theirs and their children's head. The UN Office of Drugs and Crime estimate that at any one time in Europe, over 140,000 individuals could be trapped in conditions that constitute sexual slavery. Yet, however undeniably brutal this reality is for some in the industry, we also can't deny the other end of the spectrum of this line of work. Sex work is to many women, men, and indeed a growing number of trans individuals, often their first choice of employment, not their last. Recently, Amnesty International called for the worldwide decriminalisation of sex work, a call Amnesty says is born out of wanting to uphold the rights of all sex workers. It's a move overwhelmingly supported by the workers themselves, who claim that criminalisation doesn't not only work, but drives things further underground, where things are a whole lot more dangerous for all involved. Somewhere in the middle has been a proposal known as the Nordic model. Under such a model, it would be only the buyers of sex who are punished. Supporters seem to be largely fundamentalist religious groups and others who are part of what's being termed as the rescue industry, saying it's a great way to protect vulnerable workers. But critics like Amnesty International and the workers again themselves are saying such an approach is just the flip side of the very same criminal justice coin. Disturbingly, while preparing this episode, I came across a small but radical subsection of the feminist movement who have been involved in ongoing verbal attacks on female sex workers. You'll hear Lucy refer to this group as SWERFs. It stands for Sex Worker Exclusionary Feminists. Now, I want to make it really clear before I go any further. When we mention these radicals, we're not referring to mainstream feminism. Just like Lucy, I firmly believe in feminism. I believe in equality and I believe that there is still a hell of a long way to go in areas such as violence against women and the gender pay gap. But that's enough from me. Let's hear from someone who knows far more about these issues than I do. In today's episode, episode two of the James Fry podcast, I speak with Australian sex worker, porn star, activist and educator, Lucy B. Is it Lucy or Lucy B? I prefer just Lucy, but some people call me both and I kind of feel like I'm in trouble. You know, I, you know when your mum calls you by both your first and your last name, like yeah. all your names. So I feel like when they're saying Lucy B, I'm like, oh. Okay, so I'll call you Lucy. Yeah. Now. Awesome. <laughs> that makes it easy. Might be worth telling the listeners a little bit about yourself. So I, um, my name is Lucy B. I am a sex worker. 
I am a porn star, which I, I hate, really hate using that word. It's like the best word to describe doing porn these days, but I feel like a massive wanker calling myself a star. Um, uh, I'm a sex worker. I'm a porn star. Um, I'm a massive geek and cosplayer. And as of the last few years, I've been moving more into sort of activism in regards to sex work and wildly tweeting during Q&A. Um, much to the, much, much to the worries of anyone who came to my Twitter account looking for pictures of boobs. I mean, there's plenty of that, but, um, I ended up with Tony Jones instead. Oh God, Tony Jones. Oh, him and Anthony Green. Like, (laughs) yes. But Anthony's off the market, isn't he? He's, uh, yeah. Honestly, it kills me. It just kills me. (laughs) But, um, it's, he's the only reason I watch the ABC election coverage. Like, (laughs) I mean, so I, um, and yeah, I mean, aside that, I've, I've done some work, um, you know, with the ABC on, on stuff like Australians on Porn, um, uh, Triple J, um, You Can't Ask That, which is, is airing and is on iView. Yeah, I've, I've done some work with the project and, and some radio work and stuff like that. So I've, I've sort of been everyone's go-to sex working geek. Sounds like a lot to juggle, but also um, a lot of responsibility too. I guess now that a lot of discussion about sex work and, and related kind of activities is becoming more and more mainstream. Yeah, and I think it's like I lead a very full life, which I think is really good. And I think, you know, I mean, the geeky and cosplay stuff was always sort of my own personal stuff. But now I've managed to sort of build that into who I am as as Lucy. And that's been really I think really good for me because I, I prefer to just be myself. Like the difference between who I am at home and, and Lucy is like a name mm. and that's it. But yeah, it is a lot of responsibility. I think you, you have a lot to, there's a lot of people I have to consider when I'm speaking and I don't ever want to presume to speak for anyone. Um, you know, I can speak for my own experience as a sex worker and I can then look at what other people who are way smarter than me, um, you know, have, have discussed and talked about and, and I can talk about, you know, things like what legal frameworks we think would work best and um, I can do all that. It's it's very hard not to be aware of with great power comes great responsibility, mm. you know, and I think the media has had this habit in the past of, you know, sex work is either really titillating or it's some sort of dramatic tale of abuse where they like put a black and white filter over all the photos and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's empowering to be able to speak about what I do and I think it's really important and it's also really really scary at the same time what got you into sex work initially what was your uh, was it something you'd always thought about doing growing do you up know, or? it's funny and I've tried to think on this more I don't have a, like a ton of memories of my childhood like right. bits and pieces but I've just got a really bad memory mm-hmm. um, but when I got into the industry for the first time, which was almost five years ago, maybe right. maybe a little bit more now, as an erotic masseuse. Okay. And it was literally because I'd, I'd left my other sort of normal mainstream jobs. I'd worked in bookstores and, and I'd, I'd done a little bit of work in admin and, and public service and stuff like that. So I'd done stuff and the nine to five was starting to sort of suck my soul out. <laughs> and... It's funny, like I've, I've, I still have a nine to five job now with all the stuff that comes with being a sex worker. It's still, but I guess I find it so much more engaging. I think, you know, I used to very much downplay it and used to be like, yeah, so I just, you know, I just needed to find a job and that came up. I, I needed a job. I needed to earn money. But like, why does anyone look for work? Why does anyone take on a job? It's to pay the bills. So I don't 
you know, feel uncomfortable saying that. I think I downplayed it a bit in the past um, because I was worried that people were then going to jump on that and be like, oh, so you hate it. I'm like, well, no. Mm, and you're being exploited economically. Yeah. Well, well, it's because of economics that you're being pushed Exactly. I mean, I, I economics could have pushed me in a bunch of other directions, sure. but I'm really happy they pushed me this way. I had a really good friend, someone who I'd lived with for a while who was an erotic masseuse and basically said why don't you give what I do a go and I went I did a shift it was really great I had a really good time I mean erotic massage basically is like you get your kit off give someone a, a bit of a, a rudy nudie massage and then it, there's a happy ending everybody wins it's like a Disney movie <laughs> um but basically um it was a, a tamer, like it was like entry level right, sex work, right. right? And so on the spectrum of sex work, that's probably considered down the, the lower I, end. I guess be, just, so, I mean, the the way I would define it, yes, it's still as much hard work. It sure. still comes with, you know, it's risks and it's still just as valid and important and stuff like that. But it was, it was more tame to me, which meant, you know, I, I could look at that and be like, okay, so there's still this, this detachment. I didn't jump straight into things like porn and escorting. I, I didn't think I could back then. And it was so funny because I led such a sexual life. Like I was going to all sorts of crazy parties, like right into kink, right into the sort of um, swinging and couples scene. Um, also around that time I was polyamorous. So I was used to you know, sharing my affection with with more than one partner. And that's not just purely a sex thing, but I, I just, I was, I was used to having a lot of people around me um, in a lot of different contexts. So when I finally got to taking up porn and doing escorting, it was this, it wasn't even a decision really. It was like someone asked me if I'd done porn on Twitter, another Australian porn performer, and I said, not yet. And I was like, I want to do this. And I'd been doing nude mags before that. So I was like, why not? I, lo- I love sex. Mm. So why not give this a go? And and I wanted to study sex. And I still, you know, I'm continuing on with my studies, you know, and gender and sexuality and stuff like that. So uh, the way I saw it was I'm not ashamed that I'm going to be doing this. But also um, it was like what I want to do in the future I don't think is going to be profoundly affected by doing this now. If anything, I think it would provide some really interesting context for anything I do in terms of writing about sex or or practicing sexology. So I was like, this could be a cool idea. And then escorting, you know, I moved to Sydney um, from Canberra. I I decided I wanted to sort of make sex work more of a full-time. And I sort of – I tried doing massage here in Sydney. And there wasn't as much, like, bluntly, there wasn't as much money in massage here. Um, A lot more girls – is that because of like the, the market in I terms think, of market dynamics? I think it was maybe yeah. I mean, I think it was just like there were a lot more girls here. There were less massage parlors, more brothels, um, and it seemed like a lot of the massage parlors I went to, there were girls who were offering those services anyway um, as extras and stuff like that. And I'd been very much like I could never ever do this at a massage parlor like I could never ever do this because I'd feel bad for anyone who didn't offer full service you know I wouldn't want someone to walk in with the expectation and and that's not necessarily a realistic expectation like people are you know big enough and ugly enough to defend themselves but I just I kind of felt I would have felt bad so I I went and worked in a brothel very briefly what was that like for you 
I can only guess that it would have been quite a shift from working in a largely massage-focused environment to a full-sex establishment. Nervous Mm. as hell. And a lot of that was to do with the fact that, like, a lot of my time in the industry, I've sort of looked at myself and gone, what am I doing here? Like, I'm I'm a skinny, you know, I have kind of a boyish figure... Someone like someone on the um, on the internet the other day said that I had like said that I looked like a boy and I had no tits and a flat ass and I was like okay I will take the no tits they're actually a B cup FYI I'll take the no tits but ass I squat I squat a lot and I've worked hard <laughs> so that no sir but I, I sort of sat there and I'm this geek and I like my hair color changed every five seconds and I had the worst extensions like oh god ruddy horrible and I look back at some of my earlier style choices and I'm like. Oh, what were you doing? But I looked. I looked at the industry, and I looked at me in the industry, and I was like, "What? This is not for you. Why are you here? You're never going to make any money here." But people engage with me, and they like to talk, and I was good at that. And I also just loved sex, so I kind of just went off like a frog in a sock and had a really good time. So I guess I was nervous, but I was like, "Do you know what? I'm just going to go in, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna." own this I'm just gonna own this I'm gonna be like yep cool you pick me great I mean working in establishments can be crippling in the sense that there's this lineup and sometimes it's all of you lining up together and sometimes it's one of you at a time and you're going into this introduction room and you're talking to this man to convince him to pick you and if you can face that I'm convinced you can face anything in the world um because it's it's nerve-wracking so at that, I guess mm. at that initial stage, anyway, you're, mm. I guess it, it's purely business. It's a transaction, yeah. and they're just evaluating uh, you as a piece of merchandise. Exactly, and that's it's it's sometimes with that sort of stuff, I get really conflicted, and that's why I do talk out as much as I as I do, and I do talk about, and I'm trying more to talk about the positives and the negatives of of my my work day, because I want people to know that. I'm a human and that's a really big aspect of this. And some people don't necessarily want to treat us that way. Mm. Um, and that's something I don't deny. That does happen. Not every client is a, is a great person. It's just case in point. So it sometimes means that my feelings regarding the industry are a little conflicted. Once I'd done my first booking, my first full service booking, and it wasn't like, I'll be honest, it wasn't the most comfortable sex I'd had in my life. Like it wasn't, you know, the sex I have, you know, I often enjoy myself. I'm very lucky that I can enjoy myself. Would you say that's common across the industry? Like, I don't think it's common for everybody. Right. I think everybody's experience is very, very different. I know that I have, you know, um, really great experiences and then sometimes I have less than great experiences. The sex I'm having at work isn't about me. It's right. about the person I'm with. Gotcha. And, and it's like, I think it's like any service industry. You're providing a service and yep. you want to provide that service to the best of your ability. Um, according to what the person you're with likes and, and enjoys. But when someone asks me what I like, I, I will be honest with them. I'll tell them. I'll say, hey, this works for me. This doesn't work for me. And if something in a booking is absolutely 100% not working for me, then I do speak up because I don't necessarily want someone going out and making bad sex choices in their day-to-day life. But also with the awareness that, okay, this particular thing doesn't work for me, but that's not to say it won't work for somebody else and don't yuck somebody's yum, etc. So it wasn't the most comfortable sex I'd had in my life, but I got out of it and I was like, 
okay, so the world hasn't ended. Right, I can do this. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not, why Why didn't I do this before? Mm. And then I sort of said to myself, okay, caution, this is your first booking. Let's just chill, right? Let's 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 cool our shit and yeah, like- Don't book the world tour just yeah. yet. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I sort of went from there and, and I didn't last long in the brothel. And I think part of the reason was that is, you know, I got bullied a stack in high school. So girly clicks don't do it for me. Um, and you get a little bit of that whenever you've got a workforce that's comprised of a certain, you know, friendship group, you sure. know, it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's specific to gender, but I think you do notice this sort of stuff in girls. It was like mean girls in high school, sure, right? Yeah. Particularly when you're different. Mm. they sort of have a problem with that. And you're comfortable being different. Yeah, and it's either you're getting the jobs and that annoys people or, you know, they just want to make you feel like dirt so you don't get any jobs or something like that. And you're just like, I don't want to deal with this. So I started to investigate um, going private. And I tried that briefly and it just wasn't for me. And then... What wasn't um, going private? Just for people listening, yeah. that means... Uh, so, being a private independent ex- escort, you know, answering my own phones, taking my own emails and stuff like that. And would that be seeing clients uh, in your own so place? So, in or? my own place or at the time, I started without calls because I didn't have... I was living with friends. I didn't have a specific place to host. Okay, right. And that didn't sort of work for me. It was... it was. I was still very new and I didn't know the lay of the land. So an agency was recommended to me and I worked with them for um, about three years. Okay. So the agency would be like offsite. Yeah. um, And they'd they'd, handle the kind of the administrative side of things. All the calls and stuff like that. All the advertising, get you to where you need to be, check in, check out. There's security. And I worked with them for about three years. And this year I've I've gone private um, because obviously with all the other things I've been doing, my schedule changed. And so I was like, cool, I'm going to give this a go now because working with them gave me the knowledge to make this transition. So I'm glad I did sort of those years with them because I think it was really important. It was a really good chance to learn and they did help me sort of figure out what it meant to be an escort and how to be and, and very much helped me in the early, you know, helped me make slightly better styling decisions, <laughs> um, but also helped me sort of find the middle ground between being who I am, but also being a professional. Right. And also I think my philosophy has very much changed, you know, this year about I'm finding this middle ground with, with, I guess, the branding and uh, people get so squicked out when you refer to things like branding and you're talking about yourself because they're like, oh, you're not like, you know, it's that, it's that you're not a piece of meat and you're like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, look, branding is a part of it. It's what, you know, makes business work. Um, Finding this middle ground between like, I'm a massive dork, but you can take me out to dinner and I have really nice panties. That's what we're trying to find the middle ground between. And I think I wanted to just embrace more of the political and the geeky stuff. And... I needed to sort of forge my own client base in that respect because that's not going to be for everyone. It's not necessarily going to be for your stock standard escort client, right? you know? Um, so yeah, it's been another learning experience. So it sounds like you've uh, almost your sense of identity has grown throughout the time mm. from, you know, some that really like sex, comfortable mm. in their sexuality, but perhaps not so confident whether that could then be something marketable. Mm. To then realizing, yeah, I can do this. 
but then fitting more into what you, I guess, had to offer in the world of mm. sex work rather than trying to conform necessarily yeah. to stereotypes? Yeah, I think I've, I've, I, I, I was very careful for a while not to be too political or too geeky and this year I've sort of just gone... Fuck it. Fuck it. <laughs> um, and I think, honestly, that's 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 one of the best things I, I ever did because I'm meeting so many amazing people professionally and some of my clients are just the most amazing, magical human beings and I, I get the extreme fortune to spend time with these people who come from all walks of life and who have made such a profound difference in my life. And they'd become aware of you because of this uh, adoption of, of, I guess, yeah, being more true to yourself and, of, and reaching out uh, on other issues. Yeah, and I've been really – like, I've always been really active on things like Twitter and, right. and social media. Um, So I'm always there for people to engage with. But I think this year as well I stopped taking as much shit. Like, if someone says something that upsets me online, I turn around and I'm like, well, you're, you're an asshole. <laughs> and no. Um, and I also – Discretion is at the core of what I do, and I am very, very discreet about who I spend time with, who I engage with, etc. Um, because I value their privacy as highly as I value my own. But I also, I'm, I'm quicker now to call out. You know, if I get a text message that's just disgusting or just rude, I will, I will happily share that online. Oh, I won't share the phone number. But I'll definitely take a screenshot of the text and be like, so this is what we don't do. Um, Because I think some people just think, whether it be because I'm a sex worker and honestly, because I do porn, especially people think that I'm just uh, carte blanche to say whatever the hell you want to. Like, cool, you've got a dick. I don't want a picture of it. Like, I prefer, I like bluntly, like totally inappropriate. We've already said fuck, so I feel like we're, we're safe now. I prefer my cock live. I'm just not a huge fan of the 2D option. I don't watch my own porn because it's like when you're your own worst critic, right? Yeah, so yeah, so yeah. you look at, imagine looking at a photo of yourself, right? And you're like, oh God, imagine looking at live porn of yourself. It's like a photo magnified <laughs> by 1000 and you're there the whole time going, oh my God, why did you pull that face? And my friends have watched some of my porn with me before and been like, so what you're doing there is called an orgasm and the faces you make during an orgasm aren't pretty. And these are the things I'm usually saying to people yeah, yeah. as sort of, an educator. Yeah. And, and, but when I'm watching my own porn, I'm just like, oh, this is, oh my God. That uh, self uh, criticism just goes in overdrive. Yeah. And I, mean, I was having a mad amount of fun at the time, but yeah, I'm my own worst critic all the time. <laughs> On the getting into porn, mm. you said, I think it was through a tweet, mm. one of the big criticisms of porn is that it's an exploitative industry it sends out unrealistic expectations particularly for young men as to what to expect from sex what is your response to that everything you've said is true it does porn can be a real dick um pardon the pun yeah pardon the pun um it's so impossible to have these conversations though without ending up with like eight different puns in like one (laughs) second you're like oh my god um my friends just want the money shot yeah yeah yeah, right my friends just look at me and grin when i say things sometimes and i'm like can you not (laughs) um but i look back at some of the porn i've done and i'm like 
I really wish I hadn't done that. Right. Not because it was damaging to me at the time, but because I look at it and I think there was messages that I would have liked to be conveyed that weren't. I, I don't want to go to the States and shoot. And if I did want to go to the States and shoot, it would be like, take me to San Francisco to where the queer pornographers live so I can right. frolic and be free. I've been working a lot with sort of feminist pornographers, um, some really great companies like Light Southern and Bright Desire and, and Velvet Reality, who I did VR porn with okay. through Light Southern. And I really love their stuff because it's, it's sex, but it's real. Like it's real and it's, and it's raw and it's engaging and it's not the most done up. All my makeup will not be on my face after. And it's not because someone's like slapped me and I'm like tearing up. It's because, you know, we shot in a patch of sun and I sweated it all <laughs> midway through. <laughs> like I just, I, I think porn can be so great. And I think porn has been so great in a lot of ways. Um, and we've had some really great porn come out and it's not just feminist pornographers that are making it. It's like, there's been some really great ethical pornography. There's really great scenes that are the sort of things that you'd want someone who has no experience to look at and take from. Right. But we have a lot of crap. Tube sites make that really bad. Right. What um, is it specifically about tube sites though? Well, some, like you don't know if the content's been given to them. So some companies, some larger companies might put extent trailers of scenes and stuff on it, but often it's stuff that people have just uploaded themselves. Okay. Um, you know, whether it's been torrented and stolen, you know, um, but it's free porn and there's not in my mind a lot of um, trying to think of the word I'm looking for. But no one's sort of looking at this and going, oh, no, maybe not. And, and and going through and sort of sorting through and making sure this is really okay. Right. Um, I think it's just all there. And, and when it's like 30-second clips of something, you're not offered much context. And I think context with porn is really, really important. And sure, someone might just skip to the good bits. But I think you can you can still sort of do the right thing as a creator to ensure that even if they do that, if they say go back and look at the rest of the scene, you're going to have that stuff there and also what's going on in the scene, even if they are skipping to the good bits, you can see that the performers are relaxed, they're enjoying yourself. So I think tube sites as well, when you've got – now, amateur porn is huge, as in big companies making amateur porn. Right, that right, looks yeah. like amateur porn, right? That's huge. But also people just making clips of their own and putting them online – and some of the stuff I've seen in amateur clips online, like people's home movies, is like really shit, really shit. And whether they're commenting, like whether they're copying what they've seen in porn or it's, it's whatever they've got going on. It's so many more clips that show people's really stupid interpretations of kink because thanks Fifty Shades for all your work. Um, <laughs> it's got a lot to answer for. It. Oh, God, it's terrible. Um, so ask anyone who went to a kink party after that came out and they will tell you stories. Um, but I think you, you can't – there's no story behind it. You don't know who these people are. You don't know – what's going on in that you don't know if perhaps they're in in a in a really healthy relationship they just like having some really crazy wild rough sex you don't know because these things are often really you know it's 30 seconds someone took on their phone i guess where you've got things like rough sex and stuff in porn at the very least you know that there is a performer behind it and you can look that performer up on twitter and you can see that they're you know going to the beach tomorrow they're doing this or they're doing that I do think we have a responsibility in the industry to sort of pick up our game. And I think a lot of people are trying to do that. And I'm definitely putting more consideration into the projects I take on as a performer now. I haven't been like shooting crap loads of porn um, in the last six months because 
I don't want to just shoot with anybody and I don't want to just shoot anything. And we're also sort of putting the plans and it's been, you know, I've been planning my own website, planning my own content for about two years now. And people are probably going, when the hell is this going to happen? And it is still happening. A lot of people think it's never going to happen because there's not a freaking website online. Yeah, there's Lucy again talking about it coming yeah, out soon. But yeah. it's it's the sort of stuff that's taking work and planning. And I have like page after page of scene outlines and of ideas and of stuff that I want to put into play. You know, I want to do a gangbang scene because I think that's really hot, but I don't want to just have guys. I want to have guys and girls because in my fantasy world, I'm bi. Like I want a bit of everything and and commonly I use the word pansexual because I frankly don't think about gender all that much so I want I want everyone you know my 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 dream gangbang is not a bunch of dudes so you know I want to play with stuff like that um and I think that you can have women enjoying rough sex you can have men enjoying rough sex you can have people enjoying really slow sensual whatever and still show that there is respect, you know, and that there is communication and stuff like that because people, young people learn from porn. Mm. That's fact. We don't adequately educate young people about sex, so they're going to go to wherever they can find out about it. At the moment, that's porn. Mm. Um, At the moment, that's usually tube science because they can get it for free. Free, sure. Um, You know, you're going to get, we encourage people to pay for their porn and it is important, but not everyone can pay for their porn. Um, So I think a big thing and something that weighs on my mind a lot of the moment is trying to find, you know, I would love a giant big tube site. And if this exists, someone can like correct me and and rant at me and I just haven't been looking a lot of porn lately. A big tube site full of at least like those slightly extended trailers of just ethical, Mm. you know, really well sort of put together feminist porn. You mentioned ethical. Mm. I often wondered if there may be moves underway already Mm. or it's something that people are considering. Is there some kind of accreditation process or some kind of, you know, you go out and you, this is a really horrible example and and people are going to come down on me, particularly (laughs) some of the radical feminists. I can can just hear them tweeting at me now. You go out and say you go and buy chicken and you Mm. can see it's organic and it's it's approved. It's gone through certain checks. It doesn't Mm. guarantee that it's going to be 100% happy days for everyone involved in that sector, Mm. but some kind of industry standard Mm. or tick of approval that says, hey, at least we know the people involved in this, they've consented their yeah. certain age, their their health needs have been met. Mm. Um, I think I think one of the things we sort of recommend to people is when you're looking at porn, this is why we say, look, pay for your porn and go to big companies. Look, I there's certain big companies in the States that don't necessarily shoot content that I think is the best content for young people to be engaging with. But they're a big, well-known company. They have stand, and you and you know that because of that brand name and the fact that that brand name survives and and stuff like that. You know, um, those big mainstream companies sort of with them comes a little bit of clout right? in that you know that they're going to have to have standards of shooting. They're going to have to have, you know, performer checks. They're going to have to have ID checks. Every set I've been on has been quite like that. And I don't think people, I don't think we necessarily make that as clear as we should. And it's because particularly here in Australia, we can't just shoot porn right. anywhere, right? There's there's gray areas and, and I'm no expert on all that, but yeah. So, you know, I would love to see something more like that in Australia, but we have to skip through those legal hurdles first. We need to have some sort of definition of where we stand, and that's really freaking hard. I mean, we can't even get proper R-rated games in Australia at the moment, so we're not there yet. I think 
you know, every set I've ever been on, whether here or in Europe, it has been, you know, I've had to show two forms of ID. I've had to show my tests. You know, I always have tests within a week of me shooting. Um, some, some places will say you can have like two weeks. For me personally, if I know I've got to shoot, I, I don't like to shoot at short notice, right? So I will know that I have a shoot at least two weeks plus before so I can get my tests done and have them like no more than a week. I am mindful of what I'm doing, what I'm doing with my mind, body, etc. before I go into a shoot because that will all have impact on the person I'm shooting with. And, and I try and hold that standard. And for the most part, everyone I've worked with in this industry has had the same standards when it comes to working. I don't know if we're ever going to have something. There's a lot of organizations in like the UK and stuff like that, like performer support organizations and advocacy organizations and stuff like that that are really good at giving people advice. Like here's where you should go to get your tests. You know, here's a really great place. It'll have them done for you in like 24 hours. Get your certificates. Um, If you go and shoot in somewhere like Budapest, you have to go and get your tests done. Like if you work with a talent agency, for instance, and they'll arrange all your shoots for you, you have to go and get tests done again when you get there. So you could have had them done in London last week, but they want something in the language from one of their places. So we take care of ourselves, I think, better than people assume. You know, I think it would be good, though, to have more stuff like that because you just don't know. Um, and I guess you can do some research into the company that you're watching the porn of, but who's so, like a lot of people just don't. Yeah. Porn is this very spur of the moment, right, right. thing for some people. People just want that so image to. They find a yeah. site they like, they sign up, and they want to just get on with it. And some people want to do a bit more reading and look a bit more. And I'm not saying they don't. I think I limit and I um, diminish people's intelligence when I say that they don't. A lot of people do, but um, I think we we need to just. As a, as a community and as an industry, do more. Like kink.com is is a site that I've always enjoyed for kink stuff because they interview their performers before and after. Okay, right. And they debrief. And they're very much like a lot of the situations, you know, even the sort of really hardcore sort of kink situations or stuff to do with power play um, and loss of control. It's very much steeped in a fantasy that the performer has already. Right. They try right. and create a lot around that. And I think that's really good because I think porn has done a lot of that for me, being able to, you know, and sex work in general, being able to explore fantasies in a controlled environment, I think has been really useful for me. One thing that kind of jumped out for mm. me there was, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on the, the sex workers, but maybe there's more room for education of particularly young people, young boys, mm. in being able to discern what they're watching and... Mm being able to understand that what they're watching on porn is often, you know, fantasies being played out and then how to discern that when they go into relationships, you know, the difference between just pure sex, the difference between sex in a, a committed relationship, mm. sex, even, you know, not in a committed relationship, ethics and how mm. to, you know, treat each other with respect and, and realise it's not always purely just a physical thing. There's often a whole range of other things that need to be acknowledged too. I mean, sex won't always, but can often give you feels and that's okay. Like uh, one thing I find really frustrating at the moment is that we're having – so because we've had so much sex negative conversation, we're trying to have super sex positive conversation. And that's great, but it's still steeped in this titillation. It's not – you know, we're not having frank conversations about sex with young people. Like it's not always pretty – Sometimes your 
body makes weird noises. Sometimes, like, there's things coming out of your body and you don't quite get it. Sometimes stuff's going to smell weird. So we don't prepare. I mean, genitals all look so different. Like, every every penis I've ever seen, every every vagina I've ever seen looks different. And that's okay. And, and that's I, totally fine. Yeah. Don't be scared of that. Yeah. That's totally cool. Some people have a bit more going on than others, and that's totally fine. So, But we don't have these conversations. And when we do, it's this special snowflake, like, oh, and let's just love yourself. And I'm like, cool. But I want to have these really frank conversations. I'm like, hey, you know what? It's fun as, right? You can have some wicked fun with sex, but shit. Like, sometimes you're going to just laugh your ass off. I want to have these conversations and we're not having them. What do you think stops us from having those? Oh, well, Puritan society, like, religion plays way too much of a part in so many facets of our like society. We should be having really strong pleasure-based sex education. Dan Savage is amazing and, and touched on it recently in an episode of his podcast, The Savage Lovecast. And I think it's because we have this Puritan society, we're never going to really get there, definitely not in schools. It's going to be up to other organizations and other people to have that. But we also can't expect people to educate the next generation when they haven't had a really solid sex education themselves. I mean, we're still having bad sex and we don't have to have bad sex. And the reason we're having bad sex is because of expectations. But more than that, you also don't have to be the best at sex to still have fun. You don't have to have the biggest junk and you don't have to be like, you know, have some sort of tongue that can do magic tricks and you don't have to give the best blowjob in the world. You can still have fun and not have to live up to all these ridiculous standards that we set for ourselves. You know, at the moment, I think the sex positive movement has been great, but also offers this faux empowerment to some degree because it's it's like, yeah, use that, use that vibrator, have that orgasm, good for you. And then it's like, guys, you can stick your finger in your butt and it's great. And if you're not having great sex, there's something seriously wrong. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's sort of this, it's not always said that way, yeah. but it's kind of implied. And you know what? Sometimes if you stiff it, like, stick a finger in your butt something might come out (laughs) but we don't want to talk about that we're like no 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 we don't want to talk about that um or when we do we just briefly like one sentence at the end of the article like if something bad happens don't panic just get a wet wipe and you'll be fine (laughs) but when something like that happens everything stops queefing queefing will stop a sexual situation dead in its tracks Right. I've heard it and I've seen it happen. Right. So it doesn't have to, you know, you can just laugh that off. Plenty of people do. But guys think it's a bit weird, particularly young guys. Girls are mortified and they don't even know that it exists in the first place. The first time it happens to you, you're like, wait, what? Can we explain for the listeners queefing? It's a funny fart. Right. (laughs) It's like when you push air inside an orifice with something else and it comes out. (laughs) And it's the, it's the... I've, I've used this line in so many speeches and I keep going back to it and I'm probably going to end up using it and I'm, I'm going to the junket this week and I'm going to use it there too. Sometimes your body is going to make weird noises and they're not going to come from your mouth and that's totally okay. And sex is messy. Like, it's super messy. Like, you use what you think is a pea size of lube and it's like everywhere. It's all up in all your business. You, you give a blowjob, saliva all everywhere and sometimes you know what else your nose is gonna run so but this is the thing we don't want to have these conversations because it's all just a bit too close to home and there's this assumption that if we talk to young people specifically we're going to encourage them to have sex right they don't need your encouragement like christian fucking whatever they don't need your encouragement they're going to find their way there all by themselves but we do have a choice about 
people talk about porn and sex as being damaging, but they don't have to be. We, we sit down with kids in schools and we give them the tools to apply context to every other form of media. We sit down in English class and we're like, why was the rug blue? Well, the rug was blue because the author wanted to, you know, it's deep depression, etc. blah, blah, blah. We do that with poems and games and stuff like that. And, and this same conversation, I think, really comes up when you've got things like shootings in the States. And they're like, he played a lot of Call of Duty. Um, you know, it's the same thing. But we're not sitting down saying, hey, because kids understand the difference between fantasy and reality. But... Porn is a lot more real, right? And it appeals, I guess, to that fundamental drive for sex exactly. and intimacy. Yeah. Exactly. And when, when you're hormonal and you're curious, then yeah. You, and, and we need to sit down and say, hey, it's not bad for you to watch this if you're curious and you check this out. But you do need to know that it's not necessarily how it's going to go in your day-to-day life. And that's okay. It doesn't have to look like this. And this can be fun to watch on your own or with a partner, the assumption that women don't watch porn, dumb. But also one thing that porn I think has been really damaging and one thing that we don't cover in educating young people either is we're still looking at gender as this binary thing and it's this huge spectrum. So other sexuality and you know queer sex isn't being represented at all. And sex looks different for everybody. I think porn is definitely like has a lot to answer for. But you know what else has a lot to answer for? Romantic scenes in movies. Oh, absolutely. Right? Disney. Like <laughs> sex scenes in movies. Yeah. No, I've never had a sexual like experience that looked anything like that in my life. And yeah, Disney, freaking hell. Like everyone just rides off into the sunset. Yeah, but and they if you don't... haven't, there's something seriously wrong with your choices. Exactly. In life. Yeah. So I think it's... I get really frustrated because I love this movement towards sex positivity and talking, but we're talking ourselves round in circles and we're not coming up with any solid answers. And I think we need to resolve that. How? I don't know yet. I'm working on it. I guess all of us are aware that, you know, there's elements of the sex industry where there are non-consenting adults involved. Mm -hmm. There's sex trafficking. There's people where it's not just a matter of another job, but they're forced into it literally Mm -hmm. to feed their families Mm -hmm. in countries like Thailand, for example. Yeah. But having said that, when we look at the industry where people are consenting Mm -hmm. and visibly and I guess, uh, you know, they're out there saying, like you're saying, Mm -hmm. you know, this is something I've chosen. It's something I want to do. There is a whole movement that Mm -hmm. is saying you don't know what you're talking about this is typical patriarchy 101 it's men holding you down you just can't see it Mm -hmm. you're part of the oppressed Mm. and to tie that in with something else amnesty international have called for complete decriminalization of sex work around the world they're saying it's a human rights issue by decriminalizing sex work we are increasing the chances that someone will have access to health care, they mm-hmm. won't be incarcerated, all the other things, I guess, that yep. comes with criminalising something. Again, it seems the same kind of voices are coming out slamming. Oh, yeah. Amnesty out yeah. of people for, for even suggesting that. What would you say about that? What are your thoughts? <sighs> so when the when the Amnesty International ICM meeting was happening um, and they were putting this, this motion forward, I was in Melbourne for the Festival of Sex Work. Um, and I spoke there and, and it's an amazing event run by, um, Vixen who, who do a lot of the, um, outreach work down in Victoria. They're a, they're a sex work, uh, worker outreach group and, and really great. So here in, uh, New South Wales, we have like swap. So they're amazing. And, um, so many of the people I admire, you know, work with them. Um, Jane Green, I 
remember jumping on the the hashtag for the the meeting, and it was just bombarded with um, amnesty wants to decriminalize pimps and all this other stuff that was just not true. See, one of the one of the mechanisms that now we refer to the people who probably give us the most shit about this as swerfs. So that's a sex work exclusionary radical feminist. And uh, one really sort of the whole swerf rhetoric is just problematic in so many ways. One of the tools they often use is they conflate issues like trafficking and slavery with sex work to try and sort of really, really muddy the waters, I guess. Um, They're like, you know, people are being bought and sold. And I'm like, no, no, someone's being bought and sold. That's slavery. That's trafficking. That's a problem. That's illegal and never won't be illegal. Whether it's for sex or whether it's to go work in the field. Correct. And they they also often, they'll completely, trans workers, uh, male sex workers don't even exist. Never fully. It's always about the women. So I was sitting there and I watched this. So I started tweeting under the hashtag as well with just a lot of other stuff. Um, I started responding to a few people. They got nasty really, really quickly. Um, I got threats. I got all sorts of stuff. The the most uh, – at one point, someone sent me a tweet saying that my concept of consent was somewhere between um, Bill Cosby and Ted Bundy. That's uh, two, two lovely gentlemen that was, to, yeah, to reference there. So I was with my mom in a hotel room, and my mom just was just making me cups of tea. And uh, she'd come to the festival with me to see me talk because it meant, it meant a lot to be asked – to be part of the panel on, right. on opening night there. And she came with me and wanted to see this part of my life. And it meant a lot to her. And it really, it, it changed our relationship, I think a bit. And um, so mum was just making me cups of tea while I'm on Twitter, like furiously. And that happened. And I, I cried. I just cried at that point because I was like, these people are so hateful. Look, I don't like these women. I hate the, and most of them are women. I hate the way they treat us. I hate what they say. But one thing I know is that I will never sink to the levels that they do to force my opinion. Some of the things they say are just like, I, you know, don't you have another pension addict to suck? Uh, did you know you can, you know, earn all this money by doing, um, you know, letting a thousand dicks inside you like a day and stuff like that. They are so disgusting. And they're, they're the women that they claim need saving, they're basically saying these things and they impact those women too. You know, you are shaming any, any person who has had to do this to support their family, to have to, all these people that you claim need saving, you are shaming them and you get this twisted, warped delight out of it. You see this as a win. So what they fail to understand as well as decriminalization helps everybody. It helps the woman who's there to feed her family. It helps people like me who are here by choice. And I have immense privilege and that is not something I in any way deny. I'm very lucky. And there are a lot of people out there who aren't lucky. But if someone makes the decision, even if they're forced into something, you know, I think we have to acknowledge that if someone is is pushed a certain way and they they still decide, they still say, this is what I have to do to feed my family, so I'm going to do it. And they deserve respect. They don't deserve to be shamed. They don't deserve to be put down. They don't deserve to be arrested for feeding their families. They don't deserve that. And they, they wouldn't speak as highly of what they're doing as I speak, but I don't care. I'll fight to the death for their right to say something. 
I don't think everybody's story is sunshine and roses. I've had experiences in this industry that will stay with me for the rest of my life and not for good reasons. But I, I, I came out of a call center job with PTSD. You know what I mean? So I get it, but I've had horrendous experiences in other jobs that will never leave me either. Decriminalization means that someone who is in trouble, someone who's been forced into this industry or someone who has been trafficked, someone who's being abused and used by a pimp, they can go to the police station and get help. And you know what's going to happen? The first thing that police the police officer will do is you you have had a crime committed against you. Let us help you. Instead of throwing them in a cell where they try and figure out what to do with them. Like, what's the more pressing issue? This person who's just been assaulted for months of their life or the fact that they were a sex worker. You know, you hear this thing bandied around as a joke. Is it rape or shoplifting? That has happened to people. That is not a joke. That that or, or something similar to it has been used before by law enforcement. We decriminalised in New South Wales because like 20 years ago because of the huge amount of police corruption that was that was affecting the the industry what they'll try and do as well is this other sort of swerf trick is they'll get in there and they'll be like well we no we support decriminalization too and i just don't really understand the 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 uh the intelligence behind Okay, so we don't want to destroy your livelihood, so we're going to do that by basically destroying your livelihood because criminalizing our clients... Which is what this Nordic model that was started in Queensland would do. It's It's not started. It was started in Sweden. Um, So it used to be called the Swedish model. They now call it the Nordic model. I usually prefer to call it the Swedish model. The Nordic model is trying to make it sound a little bit more legit. Right. And I think it's bullcrap. Yeah, right. But um, basically they they do bring it up here they try and like um every so often whenever there's like an inquiry into the industry they try and you know we have different laws in every state of this country which is just stupid um you know in victoria you can't do you can only do in calls you can't do an out um no you can only do out calls you can't do an in call Right. What's the reason so behind that? I I would love I would love to know. I really love to know because I really don't think there is any logical reason why that should be the case. It makes everything ultimately way less safe, and it gives the worker, I guess, far less control in terms of where they see exactly. Clients. But they also want you to register in Victoria, and everyone thinks, well, that's really great because people can keep an eye on you. And I'm like, no, that's twisted and fucked up. And who's going to be the person keeping an eye on you? Yeah, and it's like you have to. I've registered. I've registered. I have a number, and and then if something bad happens to you, right, and you don't have an SWA number. Which is the registration number mm-hmm. in Victoria. In Victoria. Right. And you say you get assaulted or robbed by a client. Again, they have, they, they'll have they'll need to figure out what to do with you yeah, first. Yeah, see if they're going to charge you first before yeah, they, they charge you. because you're the else. real problem here, right? Not the person who's just beaten or raped or, or robbed you. When in history, to, like at, at any, any point in history where we have given people an identifier or forced people to register, when has that worked out for the good? ever in history when has that been a good thing when has not not been a way to tar people and to abuse them later on down the track and don't tell me that that information is safe because we have to register with our real names don't tell me that information's safe no government in this world can currently keep 
our information right. safe. There's way too many examples of that, you know, and, and who, who is this going to be shared with? I just don't, I don't trust. Now, fortunately for me, like, I'm planning on coming out anyway, um, sooner rather than later, because right. people like to threaten me with my real name all the time. And I'm like, good for you. I have one. Thanks. Yeah. Most of us do. We're given them at birth and, and <laughs> like, big whoop. Um, I don't use mine because it's the least porn name in the world. <laughs> but um, some people don't. Some people don't plan on coming out. They don't plan on showing their face. They're not here for a long time. And they should have that right respected. They should have that right respected. Your privacy should be respected. Your ability to go, you know, they want health tests for people working in brothels. You know, your ability to go and, and you have to get a specific certificate. You can't just have your, your test results printed. Right. So, you know, not being able to choose the doctor you go to and then having to out yourself to that medical professional. It's scary going to the doctors as a sex worker. When I hear you talk about your own treatment and that of other female sex workers by what you call the sex work exclusive feminist movement swerves, I can't help but think of the similarities between the tyrannical and rigid ideologically driven positions they hold and that of, say, other extremist groups, be it the Taliban through to the right-wing Christian groups like the Westboro Baptist Church, where they only seem capable of dividing their world between those who swallow their rigid views and those who they perceive as the enemy, like you and, I guess, me, for example. I'm someone who believes in feminism, and I know you do too, equality feminism, and by fuck, there is still a long way to go before true equality between the sexes is achieved. But hearing the way they've been treating you makes me shudder to think that this small but vocal minority who are oppressing and ridiculing women because they happen to choose work in an industry that they don't agree with under the guise of helping them are out there claiming to be true feminists in the process when if they were genuine they'd be listening to those women in the industry like you and if they wanted to quote help unquote would be drawing on evidence-based approaches rather than ideological rants blog recently and it's something that dawned on me over a period of months these people don't these these swerfs these radicals they don't dislike us. They actually hate us. I can't describe the way they treat us as anything less than hatred. I can't understand how you would treat anyone that way because it's never it's never all right. I liked actually what you said. Um, I've got a quote here and I hope mm. you don't mind me reading it from your blog. Mm. And if anyone wants a really good read, the sassy strumpet is awesome. Um, <laughs> they use empathy or compassion, supposedly that which they have for me as a weapon. In this case, on Facebook walls or in ABC religion think pieces, they say things that at face value could be taken as concern or outrage for my poor treatment. But none of that comes from the heart. None of it's real. It's a cover for emotions that are ugly, sentiments that are rotten to the core, and that I'm face-to-face with even more directly this month. Now, when I read that, you know, all I can think of is under this guise of trying to help the victim, mm. all they're doing is further victimising people and trying yeah. to maintain this brand that they have. Yeah, and I think that's where I have a problem with, like, organisations, you know, like Collective Shout, Old right. Mate, Melinda, Tankard Rice, my, my, my pal. They, they say that they're advocates for women and girls, but I look at what they say and what they do, and they're advocates for people 
who are going to live the way they believe they should live. And they're so closely tied to religious groups. I mean, they never want to acknowledge it right, or admit yeah. it. It's all like, no, that's not got anything to do with it. You worked for Haradine, Melinda. Like, anyone who doesn't believe that abortion is a, is a basic, you know, human right that a woman should have access to needs to just fuck right off. Sorry, get in the bin. You know, they say all these things and it's because it always starts with almost everyone I've spoken to. Every swerf I've engaged with, it always starts with, you deserve so much better. Yeah. You just, and they try and get in your head. And if only you lived the, my way of living. Yes. And they use the line false consciousness a lot. I don't know my own mind. I have no idea. You know, I mean, the patriarchy and toxic masculinity and stuff like that doesn't just affect women. It affects men too. Sure. Absolutely. In a huge way. I don't see men as my enemy and I don't see any gender as my enemy and and they take any they'll, they'll jump on any bad thing I say mm. I mean right? I'm, I'm just expecting by having this conversation with you and I'm going to be a <laughs> rapist a, oh, yeah. my poor partner she must mm. suffer I hope he doesn't have children yeah th- see and- this is this is the thing they'll jump on most recently I, I spoke at the ANU um, I was asked to do a keynote address for their sex and consent week and I was Totally, I was so honoured. I was like, this is phenomenal. This is possibly one of the most important things I've ever... And I I went to ANU briefly. Um, I've had my own um, issues throughout my entire life, well before the industry, with um, mental health and anxiety. And um, sometimes when I'm throwing myself headfirst into these battles with radical feminists, I'm like oh, you're just making life worse for yourself. But I have this internalized fierce sense of justice that I think has been instilled in me by my family and I I can't step away sometimes. I have to just be like, no, this is wrong. They looked up a scene of mine um, and this woman posted on the Facebook page for the event this remarkable piece of fiction about how I was raped during this scene and I was squirming away. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm more, like, more power to her. Anal sex is fucking uncomfortable. I did t- three anal scenes in my lifetime. I have no desire to do any more. But I wanted to do them because I found doing that on camera arousing and that's the only reason I did it, right? It was a bit dirty. It was a bit interesting. But, yeah, it's uncomfortable. And, yeah, I was concentrating. And, yeah, I wasn't making all, like, happy fake sex noises because I don't like to do that in porn. I think it's bad like it's shit i don't want to sound like a tea kettle so guys but they'd taken this scene and wrote about how i was raped and you could see i was squirming away from this guy and just wrote this horrendous thing and like i mean, they were taking a woman without the um advantage of a university education and putting her in front of the in front of the male student population of the anu and telling them that being a masturbation aid was okay because that's what I am. Like, I'm just a set of holes, apparently. And the thing is, that's, this is their words. That's their words. That's what they are actually They are thinking. using the yeah. same words yeah. to insult, to shut me up, that the men that they complain about mm. are using. I'm like, you are as much a misogynist as anyone you criticise in that moment. So then this again, Carolyn Norma, who's just a delightful human being, Loves the Swedish model, does Carolyn. She's top, top broad. I'm so sarcastic. And she wrote about it on the Australian Religion and Ethics page uh, on the ABC. And um, 
you know, said this girl hasn't graduated and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, shit. Because someone responded to the post on the Facebook page and said, ah, oh, she used to go here. <laughs> so, <laughs> but they went to town for me talking. We had to, we had to have extra security because we didn't, we, we, I don't know how people are going to react. I don't know who's going to, it's scary. It's scary sometimes. And, and when I wrote that, that blog entry in particular, I was quite down because I, I faced this realization that this is never going to be an easy fight. I didn't even want to refer to it as a fight, but that's what it is, you know, every day. Um, I had an email not long after that from a student who, you know, she emailed me and said, you know, I don't, I didn't, I missed your talk and I didn't quite know how to, um, you know, I wanted to ask you some questions. I don't personally see how any physically healthy um, or physically or mentally healthy person could do sex work, but I want to know, you know, I'm not coming this from an opinion and I'm like, well, that line suggests you are. And then asks me a whole bunch of questions about my personal life. Like, am I going to have children? What does my partner think if I have one? And these are a lot of questions that I have discussed in stuff that I've done. And she, she felt she had a right to this information because I've said in another piece that I'm happy to dispel rumors and talk about my life. Right. But it's this presumption that I have to justify myself that I really, really dislike. I'm having to do that every single day. I mean, what it sounds like to me is they're saying, hey, Lucy, mm. you're being treated as a piece of meat. Mm. So we'll treat you as a piece of meat. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind answering questions. I really don't. But I had to email this girl and say, look, you've offended me. You've really offended me. And and the email's back, I seem to have offended you. I'm like, well, how perceptive of you. But, but this whole, like, as women, we should share information. And I'm like, I, I totally agree with you there. Don't imply that I don't feel the same way about these things. But don't, don't, come, I'm, I'm not here to educate you on how to not be an asshole, right? <laughs> you should probably know that. Yeah. And I will I will talk about this industry. I'll talk about my own experiences. I'll talk about I'm so open and so free to talk about this, but I do deserve respect regardless of what people think of what I do. And these people don't respect us. They have conversations about us without us. You know, Melbourne Writers Festival case in point. Um, and then as soon as we turn around and say, hey, this is not right, we're silencing survivors. That's what we're doing. And it, and it doesn't matter that some of those survivors are still in the industry, are the very people protesting. Doesn't matter. We're silencing survivors. We're not silencing anyone. But you know what? I would love to hear those survivors speak instead of women who just want to make money off their stories, mm. personally. Because I don't, I don't want to hear Melinda telling these women's stories. I want to hear these women telling them story, their stories. Not someone selling books. Yeah. Do you know what? And, and she's saying, well, they don't have a platform because you guys are doing all the talking. I'm like, well, no. Maybe you could help them get a platform. Maybe you could do that. Because they're not getting a platform by you just parroting what you've heard for your own self-interests. You know, and I, I'm, I mean, I'm going to cop shit for this. I always cop shit for this. Every time I, I say, say the name, I... I don't care because I'm so totally insulted by what these people are doing to my colleague, things they've said to me. And I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and pretend it's okay. It's not okay. It's not just a difference of opinion. That's, this goes far beyond a difference of opinion. I 
don't agree with many of the feminists I know on so many issues, but I will fight to the death for their right to have that opinion. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't like what these swerfs say. I wish they wouldn't. I like it even less because so much of it is not, most of it is not based in any fact. It's not rooted in any fact whatsoever. And and I think that the s- stories of survivors of trafficking, of slavery, of horrendous experiences in there, any, any sex worker you talk to will have a story, mm-hmm. right? We do need to listen to those voices. I totally agree with that. But we have to listen to all voices. A one-size-fits-all legal approach to what is a very complex issue simply doesn't work. Um, you don't get to say, this person's job makes me uncomfortable, mm. so I, I think we should just get rid of it totally. Yeah, yeah. Or you could say, this person's job makes me uncomfortable, but that's my own business. Exactly. And I'm not going to push for legislation. Or- but they don't want to do that. And the thing is, we know what we need to keep ourselves safe. And it's not just... I don't say decriminalisation needs to happen because it'll keep my privileged white sex worker ass covered. I say this because it would help everyone because I've read so much because I, I have, I've looked at this, the research and, and, you know, the opinions and the balanced arguments put forth by both sides. You know, I have looked at stuff that is written by people who are way smarter than I am. Look at these people. Listen to these people. They've done the research. They're there. These academics, you know, these people who are older than me, who've been in the industry longer than me, who have these amazing experiences and so much to offer. Listen to them, you know. And I used to try so hard to find the good in what was going on with these with with swerves. So I used to be like, their hearts are in the right place. Mm. No, they're not. Mm. They're not. Mm. Yeah. And they don't. They don't know what will keep us safe. They have no idea. They want to take a whole bunch of people and put them in poverty with the click of a finger. They want to make people suffer for the decisions they've had to make and they don't see that. And if, and if what scares me more is that maybe they do see that, but they just don't care. Mm. They're just so steadfast mm. in, this, in this belief. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get worse before it's going to get better. Look, I've had death threats, so I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> um... It's by not going to stop By the very me. people that claim to be only thinking of your best interest. Yeah, I mean, they want to take me out the back and shoot me. It's not going to stop me. Do you know, I, and I, I tweeted about this the other night, silencing, someone disagreeing with you and not having your opinion and making that known is not silencing you. But turning around to someone and saying, you don't know your own mind, you're suffering from false consciousness, you're a victim of your circumstance, thus your opinion is invalid, your story is invalid. That is silencing someone. Kind of reminds me of, you know, the stories that would come out of, uh, you know, the dark ages of Soviet Russia. Yeah. And if you spoke out against the party, well, you're mentally ill. Yeah. You need our help. Exactly. Off you go. Exactly. And it just, I think I find it so frustrating because it means that we then can't talk about, we can't have the kind of conversations that we need to be having about our work. Right. You know, I either have to be Mother Teresa who sees disabled clients and the lonely and, 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 and that's and I see plenty of clients that fall into into those categories. But I also see, and I, I said this on You Can't Ask That, some people just come to me for a shag and that's totally fine. Mm, it's a whole spectrum. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes I have shit days. I've been abused. You know, I've been hit. I've been raped. I make no secret 
I was raped by people who I knew long before I was ever assaulted in the line of this, of this work. And that I think hurt me infinitely more, but I just, I just don't, I don't think this is, it shouldn't be this thing that shouldn't be the, like, it shouldn't have to be a winner. Like we, we, it's so easy for us to just turn around and do what's best for people. It's all there. Yeah. The answer is there. The research is there. Yeah. And it is. And they just don't, they just want to, they want to willfully ignore it because of their own sort of, you know, religious dogma amongst other things. It, it makes me so angry. It's the same, it's the same with the discussion of the impacts of, you know, porn on young people. We have the tools to improve people's lives and we're not using them. Mm. It's much easier to say, all porn's bad, let's ban it, mm-hmm. let's criminalise it all, yeah, and it's, the problem will go away. Exactly. Which of course, we know it's never happens. Let's porn, let's criminalise sex work, let's criminalise the clients, you know, let's just brush it all under the rug because that's all you're doing. It's not going to go away. You're sending it underground, you're making it less safe. Like, I, I think of, of the sex workers currently having to deal with the Swedish model in Europe. Well, that's, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you because. Even if the worker themselves isn't mm. criminalised, I imagine if their clients are, the worker themselves is still probably going to have to fly under the radar to some degree to be I mean, able to see those clients and maintain their business. Been, yeah, and the other thing is, so there's been reports and, and it's been shown in like, like Late Line did a story where um, Emeril Barici savaged Jules Kim from, from Swap and was just a generally horrible human being and Jules was amazing. Mm. Um but they showed this police officer who was, who was like, they, they're tailing sex workers. Like, they're picking a sex worker where they know where she lives and they're just grabbing the clients mm. as they leave, you know. So that, that then means that, that that woman can't make money because she's not going to see those clients again and it's probably going to warn other clients of seeing her. This is sick. And you've got people getting in trouble, you know, so it's, it's also illegal then to live off the proceeds of prostitution. So people's partners and kids, mm. like landlords are booting people out of their homes because they don't want to be seen as living off the proceeds. Mm. Mm. You know, this isn't rocket science. There is a system that works. All we have to do is adopt it. Move beyond the moral zealotry and, yeah, look at what works and respect the rights of the people involved. In exactly, the but we don't want to do that, and that in itself would help so many people. Like, if if you have a system that is more out in the open, if you have an industry that is more out in the open, that means that where there is inconsistencies, where there's problems, where there's abuse, it's so much easier to root that out. Mm. You know, it's so much easier to, for people to be able to go in and find when something's wrong. It's easier for clients to, you know, if they go to an establishment and see that something's not right, if they visit a girl and be like, this is not, something's not okay here, to make anonymous tips, anonymous reports. Mm. This has the flow-on effect that could help so many people, but no one wants to do it. Mm. And it's and I, I, have to, I have to say that, you know religion and this stupidly Puritan sensibility that seems to run through so many different parts of the world has a lot to do with it. A lot of people are like, it's all feminism. And I'm like, well, no, because my feminism says that women should have the right to do whatever they want with their bodies, with their minds, with their lives. I don't add a but. Like, you know, women should have the right to do this, this, and this, but 
I'm not racist, but it's the same thing. Um, and I, I'm sure it keeps people warm at night to think it's not, but it is. You know, I every time I do something publicly, I'm mentally preparing myself for the potential of, of something else yeah. to be said. And it's scary. Not everyone's going to always agree with everything I say, and that's totally fine. And if I fuck it up, I'm open to the feedback and the criticisms that my industry will give me. And I'll take that because I'm I'm not every woman, not every sex worker. That's not how it works. Mm. Um, yeah, you're open to rational debate, opinions, yeah. getting things wrong sometimes. I want to learn. Yeah. I yeah. want to learn and I'm still learning. I'm always learning. But that sounds like that attitude certainly isn't matched by some of the critics of sex work where even presented with the facts it's a bit like climate change presented mm. with the facts still not going to budge from their position i'm i'm ranking i'm ranking swerfs in with anti-vaxxers climate change deniers and like people who think abstinence only sex education works i think they're all part of the same like you add a radical element to anything and it goes to shit mm. so if we could just put all the radical elements uh, on a boat and send them out somewhere yeah. and they can all be radical together, that would be great. Yeah. Um, I, we would create some sort of bloody utopia. It would be great, wouldn't it? It would be amazing. <laughs> um, I'll set up a, a Kickstarter for it. We'll, we'll purchase one of the islands off maybe Johnny Depp now that he go. doesn't need it. Exactly. Yeah. Just be like, hey, buds, here's something. You know, you hear the same, you know, I, it's like, it's like I, I think very similar to things like the decriminalization of, of drugs and stuff like that. You know, here is things and things like pills testing. Here's something that we could do. Save lives. To save lives. We know that we can't stop something. So why not do whatever we can within the realms of what we can do? You know, we we can't stop people getting into fights in King's Cross in the middle of the night or in the street. So, I don't know, we're just going to send everyone home early. Whereas Victoria, the one thing, you know, Victoria doesn't do a lot for my industry, but it does some other things for uh, the rest of the state. Whereas Victoria's like, shit, people are getting into trouble late at night. Maybe we should make our public transport run 24 hours on the weekend. Well, shit. Um, I, I, I get so fuming, frustrated. There's so many examples you can find where we've got, Everything's there. We could do so much for people. If we could just move beyond ideology. And we, we don't. Mm. And I don't know what it's going to take. I don't think I'll be alive to see a lot of it because I, I want to see a different world for my, my children, you know. I, I want to have kids. Apparently, I shouldn't have kids because I'm a dirty whore. But um, I want to create a better world for the generations that come after me to live in all round and i think it's it's when when you do things like you know one win in one area decriminalizing sex work decriminalizing drugs you know better sex education that has the pot like the the potential to trigger changes in other areas it's yeah it's i don't want it to be a fight but it is a fight and we've just got to keep going for as long as i can yeah and i think you're doing an amazing job i think that's probably a great spot to leave it <laughs> lucy thank you so much for your time no thanks for having me a big shout out to lucy for her time today we really appreciate it you can see what Lucy's up to by checking out her website at Lucy B. That's B with two E's dot com. LucyB.com. Head on over to the transgression page when you're done today, transgression.com.au. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow us on Twitter using the handle at transgressionau 
or get in touch with me personally via Twitter using the handle at thatfryboy. Thanks again for joining me and I'll see you in about two weeks' time. Much love. So we find ourselves at the end of today's episode. Before you go, I'd like to once again invite you to head on over to our website at transgression.com.au. And while you're there, click on the contact tab. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for tuning in. We can't wait to have you join us again for the next episode.